Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Matthew chapter number one, and the children will be dismissed for Children's Church. Looking forward to starting points after the service. Very much enjoyed the time and the conversation that has developed in our church in the Sunday School and Growth Group Hour. And uh, that was very, very helpful. And I want to encourage you to continue to, uh, to ask questions and to encourage one another and be the church that we ought to be for one another. And it's, a, it's just a blessing to be able to spend time discussing current matters together. We're in the series, Servants of Christmas. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter number 1, and we're looking at verse number 18. Verse number 18. If you need a Bible, you can look on it on your smartphone or uh, look uh, on it with somebody else near you. There's also a worship guide inside of the uh, the bulletin you received on the way in. Verse number 18, you're all there? Let's read. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or it happened in this way. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, or of the Lord by the prophet, saying, let's read verse 23 together. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus, the sweetest name I've ever known. Isn't it? Beautiful. That's why we're all here today. There is nothing that should bring us all together under one roof except for the name of Jesus. No, no job, career, social status, political alignment, nothing. The name of Jesus has brought us here today. Amen. Praise his holy name. You may be seated, and I'm going to pray, and I want you to also pray and ask the Lord to just uh, seize this moment 
that we have together in his word. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. We don't say that tritely. You said that this is the day that you have made, and we get to be glad and rejoice in it, and so we do. We're thankful for today. You've given us life. It wasn't promised or guaranteed to us. You said that our lives are as a vapor. They're just almost gassing off, just evaporating. You've given us this day, and you've given us this moment together. Lord, you've given us your word. We're grateful for it. In a world that is confused and leaning to their own understanding, Lord, we have this unshakable, undeniable, absolute truth that is your word. And so we're grateful that we have it and we have a copy of it and that we're able to open it together. Now, Lord, it would do us no good for us to have a copy of your word and to do nothing with it, to not read it, not think upon it, to not hear it preached, to not act on it. So, Lord, I ask that none of us would be guilty of having your word. What a, what a wonderful privilege. But I pray that we would have it and do something with it. Continue to grow us in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us. Pray if there is folks here today that don't know you as Savior, they don't have that confidence that, that they've accepted you, that their sins are all forgiven. I pray that they would come to know you by faith today and receive that, that free gift of eternal life. So, Lord, we're just submitting this time to you. Quiet our hearts. Be with the children as they, they learn and they grow together as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 1.14 tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. I have something on my mind I just want to share with you briefly. You know, the Bible tells us he's full of grace and truth. That's how he interacted with us. He told us the truth about us. We're sinful before him. But his grace, he came and he died in our place. Isn't that beautiful? And so grace and truth met at the cross. But I was just thinking this week, 2 Peter 3 and 18 says, but grow in the grace and the, you all know it? The grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the knowledge of Jesus? It's the truth. You know, the specific command to you and I is, though I'm not 100% well-balanced in grace and truth. Sometimes I'm over here, and sometimes I mess that up, and I'm, I'm over in grace, and, and I mess that up, right? And we're not, we're not in balance. We're not like Jesus. We're not perfect. But he says our pursuit every day, and in this gathering today, is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I trust that the Lord will help us to do that, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. No matter where you are in that spectrum, no matter where you are in your, your biblical knowledge and where you are in your journey with Christ, we can all grow, can't we? Now, if you get looking to somebody else, you're going to be discouraged. But if you look to him, he'll, he'll keep you going in the right direction. So we can all grow today, right? Let's do so. So this, this matter of the servants of Christmas, it began to dawn on me that most of the people that we celebrate in the Christmas story and talk about a lot are those that, that acted as servants. Last week we saw Mary, who is the handmaid of the Lord, and she said, be it unto me according to thy will. This week we want to look at Joseph, but think about Jesus himself. He took upon him the form of a servant. 
Um, Brother Josh just read uh, from Simeon's life, and Simeon was a man that served the Lord and, and listened to the Lord and was waiting for the Lord and guided by his spirit. Anna, just a, little, a couple verses later in Luke chapter 2, was a lady that served the Lord night and day in fasting. The shepherds were individuals that, that served the Lord and served the, the, the work of the Lord by keeping the temple, the temple flocks and the temple sacrifices out there in Bethlehem. And so many servants. And I'll, I'll just say this, the, the, the people that we note in Scripture and learn from in Scripture were servants like Jesus was. And so it, 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 it stands to reason that inside of the Christmas story, the, the time where God is showing to all of us that He came to earth to die for us and to, to pay for our sins, that, that the story would be made up of characters who were servants in their heart. Let's consider Joseph. Joseph, and if you go to um, verse number 25, Joseph, verse number 24, being raised from the sleep as uh, he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. I want us just to notice that phrase about Joseph, a summary phrase, a phrase that kind of sums up this interaction between Joseph and God via the angel of the Lord. He did, as soon as he woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Again, the heart, the attitude, the actions of a person who is serving, the, the person who is saying, not my will, but thine be done. We can learn something from this Joseph. Now, if you, uh, if you just meditate on the story of Joseph for a moment, Joseph was espoused to Mary. They were looking forward to getting married. They were looking forward to living together and uh, raising a family together and having dinner on uh, dinners around the table and, and doing the things that fam uh, families do, maybe going to the Mediterranean for, for a day at the, at the seaside and, and doing fun things or maybe going out on a boat ride on Galilee, doing the things that families do. I don't know about any sort of roller coaster rides or that type of stuff, maybe going, uh, going on, a, on donkey rides through the, through the hills of of Israel and so on, but doing the things that families do. They're looking forward to all that. Can you imagine, can you imagine when Mary had to break the news to Joseph that she was expecting? It wasn't common in that day. We talked about that last week. It wasn't a common thing. It wasn't something that culture just said, okay, no big deal. Another person out of wedlock is, is expecting no, not in that day. It was a big deal. There were laws against that in that day. Laws that were civil laws that, that dealt with that in, in that day. Can you imagine the, the hurt, the betrayal, the, the struggle of mind, the confusion? Mary, we're, we're, we're looking forward. I'm, I'm building a home for you. It was only going to be a couple months away, and we were going to be together. Can, why? And can you imagine almost the stunned silence in Joseph's, in Joseph's heart, mind, uh, and, and in that conversation, as he found out that his soon-to-be wife, though she was called his wife because of, of the espousal, we'll get to that in a moment, can you, imagine, can you imagine that moment when she told Joseph? Now, you say, well, the angel came along and made it all good. That doesn't negate the fact that Joseph still was going through the turmoil of what had just happened. And the Bible says, while he thought on this. How many of you understand that those thoughts probably were pretty painful and very confused? Maybe you've faced something similar to that in a relationship. 
and you can identify with, with Joseph in this moment. What's interesting about Joseph is he, he took some time to sleep on it. And we're going to see how that Joseph did go through the struggle of all this, but it ends up with Joseph doing as the angel of the Lord, as the Lord himself gave a message to him, Joseph did it. So how do we get from conflicted Joseph to saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to marry her, I'm going to embrace her, I'm going to go with her, I'm going to follow her through life, she's going to be my wife, I'm going to be her husband, I'm going to delightfully enter into this. How do we go from that? So what's the notice? First of all, let's notice the conflicted heart. Let's dwell on that for a moment. Notice that this was a a couple that was devoted to each other. They had entered into a legal, binding, permanent espousal. Much more than our engagement of today. Though engagement is to be a promise of Mary, a marriage, uh, today it would not be considered breaking a legal contract in order to step away from that engagement. And that day to break off a betrothal or an espousal was to literally break, um, break a legal binding agreement between one another. It was so, it was so much in force that they did call each other husband and wife. The angel of the Lord referred to Joseph as Mary's husband and, and uh, Mary as his, as his wife. So they were espoused, but not living together. I, I told you last week that during this time, the husband would be preparing a place, much like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is preparing a place for his bride, the church, right now. I go to prepare a place for you, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and behold, I come again. He's coming again to get us, and we need to be faithful to him in this, in this day. And so this is what was going on. Joseph was preparing a place. Mary's living with her family. Joseph is likely living with his family. Oftentimes they built onto their family homes and built a place for them to raise their family. And I just can, uh, uh, think about our own marriages in this day when we take a vow and uh, it was 16 plus years ago that I stood on this platform and, and gave a vow to Sheila and she to, uh, she to me. And part of our wedding vows were, were this, that for better or for worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, I'm committing myself to you until death do us part. That's a serious vow. Wouldn't you agree with that? That's a very serious vow. And let me just encourage you, if you've taken that vow, then stand with that vow. Stay with it. Work through the problem. You stay with it. The world wants to tear you apart and tear relationships apart. You stand by your vow. So here these folks, Mary and Joseph, have vowed to each other. I don't believe they said those exact words like that, but certainly it was a legal binding thing. They were a devoted couple to each other, and they had devoted to each other in this way that promise that promise to each other, we are going to marry, it's going to be a wonderful time, and I can imagine their, their emotions, their hearts were all wound up in this as they were looking forward to that day. I do want to say, uh, just as an aside, and maybe by application, just as an encouragement, as we, as we live in a day that it kind of steps in and out of marriage so, so loosely, so casually. Would you all agree with me about that? Christian marriage should be different. Uh, You're going to find different ways of going about coming to find your wife. The Bible says, whoso findeth a wife, guys, get ready now, I'm going to cue you for an amen. Whoso findeth a wife, 
findeth a good thing. Amen. All right. And obtaineth favor of the Lord. It's a good thing. I'm not married to the old lady. Not the nag. That's how the world treats it. That, that's not Christian marriage. And you ought to strive. And, and there's, it's a two-way street. Like, not married to the old man. Battle axe. No, we don't, we don't treat each other that way. We should treat each other with respect and love. And so, I do want to encourage us as we approach marriage, and as you train your children up to approach marriage, encourage them to approach it by faith. Are you saved by faith? Yes. yes. The biggest decision of your life, who you're going to spend the rest of your life with, ought to be approached by faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. You do not want to marry the wrong person. You don't want your children to marry the wrong person. And from an early age, begin praying with them and asking God to, to prepare their spouse for them and them for their spouse. Most every day, or at least uh, uh, regularly, I am praying with my kids, Lord, I pray that you'd prepare them for their spouse, that you'd help them to be pure and to walk in purity physically and mentally before you and prepare for that day. And I have that in my mind. Why? Because I want, I want to raise them to be a good spouse. I want to prepare them for that. And I want to prepare them to walk with the Lord. And so encourage them to go by faith. Well, what about that one? And data, and data around, do you know when God, I'm, I'm going to go on, I rarely go on the rabbit trail, so I have one right now. Do you know when God created man and woman, do you realize that, that, that he did not bring a smorgasbord of ladies to, to Adam to date through? He brought one. And I believe with all my heart, and you might call me crazy, and that's fine, but I believe with all my heart that God has a person for you to, um, for you to marry and that if you'll approach it by faith, he'll bring you to that person. You say, well, I didn't approach it that way. Then the one you're married to right now is God's person for you. All right, we'll try that again. The one you're married to right now is God's person for you. Amen. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. All right, so now you've got, you got to work, work through it. But in raising our children in a confused world, we need to encourage them to approach it by faith, not by sight. Much of the dating world is by sight. Well, who, what pleases me? What, what, what do I see? Approach it by faith. And also approach it in a way of asking for godly counsel. You know, I, 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 don't, I can't think of too many decisions that I make that I don't seek counsel, and especially on big ones. But who you're going to spend the rest of your life with ought to, ought to be accompanied by godly counsel, that of your parents, spiritual leaders. And so I encourage it in that way as a note, as we think about this devoted couple. But this devoted couple was going to hit a very difficult time. Do you realize the Bible says she was found to be with child? There was a discovered pregnancy before they came together, before they had had intimate relationships. They had, she had been found with child. Now the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us and commands us how to maintain ourselves in purity. It says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 18, flee fornication. For every sin a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication, that is all sorts of sexual sins, that's a general, that's a general uh, umbrella of sexual sin. Certainly includes sexuality ahead of marriage or outside the confines of marriage. 
Everyone that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. You know I'd be remiss as a pastor in a very sexualized age not to constantly encourage you to be sexually pure. Now, Mary was sexually pure. We understand that. Joseph did not understand that at this moment. He was, he was enormously conflicted. For her to come along and say, yeah, but I, I got a message and the Holy Ghost did this. I mean, this sounds ludicrous. It sounds far out. It sounds like she's stretching for excuses. I have no doubt there was, um, there was tension and there was a struggle in his heart because the Bible says he thought in this. I just want us to be mindful that the Bible's specific about before they had come together. They had been honoring and walking in purity together. We saw that in Mary's life last week. She was a virgin. She, she was walking in purity and honoring the Lord in that way. But it was discovered. Was it that she couldn't hold, uh, keep the secret any longer or keep what God was doing any longer? It, it seems that she would have been about in the second trimester starting to show, and it was something that was, was discovered, something that was, was obvious. Now, also notice here in this verse that she was found with, help me there, child. Not a fetus, a child. The Bible is specific. Our world has compromised truth, has denied truth, but the Bible says, found with a child by whom? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. And so understand that though this is a divine child, Jesus taking on human flesh, do understand also that God is still the one that gives life in the womb. And he puts a child in the womb from conception to the grave. Life is precious and is sacred and is a gift of God. And so as Mary breaks this news, I can't imagine the struggle that it was and the conflict that it brought in heart, the hurt, the, 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 the reaction that must have happened in that moment. What now? Where do we go from here? And the Bible says that he thought on this. And while he thought on this, the Bible indicates that he is in his mind deciding, I'm going to go along with a divorce. And there was going to be a difficult parting in their lives, verse number 19. But it says that Joseph was a just man. What does just mean? It means righteous. Righteous. One that does the right thing. One that acts godly. In fact, this same, this same statement or description was given to Zechariah, who is a priest, to Elizabeth, the parents of, of John the Baptist, to, to Anna, and to Simeon, who we just read about this morning. The same statement and description was given to them. They were just individuals. They were righteous, not just in the eyes of people, but before God. And so here Joseph is a just man. One author said he truly loved his betrothed wife and was torn with grief because of what his eyes saw in this gentle maiden whom he had always found a model of purity and who still bore that character. Yeah, but he did not fully understand all that was going on. There were two options for, for Joseph. He could make her a public disgrace, a public example, as is mentioned in here. According to the law, there, if, if Jewish law would have just ran its course, she would have been publicly disgraced. It wouldn't have been a private thing. It would have been something that happened in the town square. She would have been publicly disgraced for her immorality. By the way, you remember to when Jesus was in ministry 
and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. One of the things that's fascinating about the sinfulness of mankind is how it puts it all on the lady and not on the man. And even sometimes in religious circles, we want to we see this from a biblical standpoint. The man has responsibility. And men, you and I need to walk in purity. Hello? Amen. Amen right there. We need to walk in purity. We must. But here, she was going to be brought out as a public disgrace. That was Jewish, Jewish law, if he had just let it run its course. His other option was to give a bill of divorcement silently. You say, Pastor, I thought God hates divorce. He does because of what it does. There's not one person in here that has an experience with divorce and gives it a five-star review. Not one. God does not say he hates divorcees. He says he hates divorce. Why? It tears hearts. It breaks hearts. It tears families apart. It causes confusion. And so when we get married, we marry for life. But this was a situation where, according to law, if there was fornication ahead of, ahead of the marriage consummation in this betrothal period, it was allowed that they would give a, a bill of divorcement. The Bible says that later on in, in the book of Matthew, chapter number uh, uh, 18 and 19 and following. And so he says, listen, I, I, want, you to, I want you to realize that, that here he has two, two choices public disgrace, or put her away privately. And he goes, as a just man, as a man that wanted to honor God, and he loved Mary very, very much, he was going to put her away privately. He wasn't going to make it a, a big public issue. Now, that was Joseph's decision as he went to bed that night. Still torn, still hurt. I have no doubt there was tears and struggle. I can't imagine. But that's what Joseph was going through. What I do want us to understand here is Joseph didn't understand all that God was doing. And this is a pretty clear-cut, you know, apart from a prophecy of the virgin birth coming, um, coming to pass, this is a pretty clear-cut, it's obvious, something had to have happened, right, from a human standpoint, but he didn't understand all that God was doing. And the two options that he had in front of him were not necessarily the options that, that God had. And I do want to just help us to, to think about this. There are times we come up against scenarios in our lives and in relationships with others that have, make no human sense. And they're very, very difficult and they're hurtful. And I do want us to remember and, and just be reminded that maybe the options that are in front of us right now aren't all the options. Perhaps God is going to reveal something or a way through. And if you'll wait on him... And even do as Joseph did, sleep on it. Sometimes we just need to go to bed on it. How many of you agree with that? A good night's rest can help us. And so here he is, he's thinking on it. The Bible doesn't give us a you know, four-step way of going through it. We're just we're grabbing some things by example. And I, I, I see that Joseph goes to bed thinking on this matter. Statement hit me yesterday. Again, I've heard it before. But a spiritual person takes a big issue and makes it smaller, while a carnal person will take a small issue and make it bigger. What do I mean by that? Should we brush things under the rug and 
you know, not deal with sin? No, not at all. But a person that is walking with the Lord, a just individual, is going to take a big issue, and they're not going to just stir it up further. They're going to deal with it, and Joseph was going to deal with it, and his way, according to law, was I'm going to deal with it privately, but I'm going to, I'm going to deal with it in this way. And I just want to remind us the importance of always keeping in tune with the Holy Spirit as we go through problems and making sure that we're not hot-headed. Joseph wasn't hot-headed. Do you see that with me? Joseph could have, he could have made her that public example and he could have been in the crowd cheering it on. Legally, he could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't. He wasn't hot-headed and he went to bed on it, thinking on it, and God gave him some clarity. God gave him a revelation by the angel of the Lord and gave clarity to him. And I, I want to encourage us, let's wait on the clarity that only God can give. You and I sometimes come up against things and it makes no sense. But Lord, I need clarity. I need clarity. So as Joseph went to bed that night, he slept on it and the angel of the Lord showed up. And I do want us to realize this was a big deal. For the angel of the Lord to show up with a message was a big deal. The other time, or another time that the angel of the Lord shows up is to announce the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 28 and verse number 2. So this is a big deal. God is sending a message via the angel of the Lord, and he wanted this message to get to, to Joseph. He wanted to clarify the thoughts. He knew he was in conflict. By the way, God knows when you're in conflict. And he cares about you in the midst of that. And he has also sent you a message that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, for he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord Jehovah, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You have a message, and it's found inside of this book that you're holding this morning. When you're coming up against conflict, get into the book and be listening for the Holy Spirit to prompt you, guide you through that, and in prayer. And so uh, Joseph receives a clarifying message. It was personal. It was right to him. Joseph, Joseph, thou son of David. It wasn't general. It was to him in specific. And God gave him this message. This wasn't a dream because he ate too much pizza the night before. This was a dream because God had a message for him. God worked through those dreams. God worked through many of those dreams. And I believe in, in, in places around the world today where there is no no written word of God. I believe God is still working to draw people to himself like he did in olden times to bring them to himself even through night dreams, to bring them to a point where they seek the word of God. I'm thankful we have the word of God. I'm thankful we have the completed word of God. And this is what God has said, thus saith the Lord, forever it's settled in heaven. God's given you a word. Let's rest on it. God was giving Joseph that night a word by the angel of the Lord. Joseph, thou son of David, Joseph, thou son of David. God has personal words for you and I. And it's right inside the pages of Scripture. Now, both Mary and Joseph, as we looked last week, belong to the house of David. The Old Testament, one author mentioned, prophecies indicated that the Messiah would be born of a woman, Genesis 3 and verse number 15. Be of the seed of Abraham, Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 18. And through the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49 and verse number 10, and would be of the family of David, 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. So Matthew's genealogy traces, traces the, the lineage of, of um, Christ all the way back 
through, you're following there, through Nathan here, no, through, uh, through Solomon, excuse me, and then uh, Luke's genealogy traces it back through, through Nathan and through Mary to Jesus. And so these were particular genealogies. We'll jump into that a little bit, uh, little bit more in the future. But it is worth noting, and I found this to be a fascinating point, that in 70 AD when the Jerusalem and when, when, when it was all destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and all the records, the genealogies, were destroyed. Do you realize that Jesus Christ is the only living Jew that can prove his genealogy and his his line of David? The Bible says that he will one day sit in Jerusalem on the throne of David and will rule for 1,000 years. What an amazing thing. I don't know, that that excited my heart. It doesn't look like it excites your heart too much. (laughs) But the reality is, God knows what he's doing in all these things. And he gives us this genealogies, these genealogies that, that, that prove that Scripture is absolutely true and that God's word will come true. So it was a personal word to Joseph, thou son of David, thou son of David. And that genealogy is right in the opening chapter here in chapter number one of Matthew. Now, I also want you to notice that it was a directive word. He had some steps for Joseph to take. Verse number 20, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So the angel announces, first of all, hey, don't be afraid. Other people may be talking. Uh, The law may not be on your side, but you don't be afraid. You don't stop. You don't step back from taking Mary as your wife. Fear not. Why? Because, Because Joseph was trembling. He was fearing. God tells us many times not to fear. And here he tells Joseph, don't fear. He told Mary not to fear. This is what God's going to do in your life. Joseph, don't fear. Take her as your wife. Don't fear the stigma. Don't fear the, uh, all the, the, the circulating story. Don't fear. Take her as your wife. The pregnancy is supernatural. It is divine. It is by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Luke that it would be by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost would overshadow a Mary, and, and what would be conceived in her would be a holy thing, a divine thing. The child would be a male. The Mary's going to bring forth a son. All these things are confirmations of prophecy, but were directives to, to Joseph. And you, Joseph, have the responsibility of naming this child. Now, that's a lot for Joseph to take in. Take her as your wife. I've done this. God's done this. This is a divine thing. And you're going to be responsible to still act as the father. Log those away. Those were directives for Joseph to obey. He could have said, nope, that is too much drama. I'm not getting in the middle of that. That's not for me. I was expecting a quiet home in the country with my new wife, raising my family, my own kids, and this is what I have? You understand Joseph could have bolted? He could have said, not for me. There are many people who have bolted on the will of God. We could probably raise our hand a few times to that, right? But Joseph was given some directives here. Now, he was to name him, he was to name him Jesus. That was a common, a common name even in that, that day. Uh, the Old Testament equivalent would have been Joshua. 
But this was different. This was Jesus the Christ, Jesus the promised one, Jesus the, uh, the anointed one. Jesus means Savior. Jehovah saves. And so Joseph was responsible to give this name to Jesus. Jesus would be the name that he would go by. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his official title. And Emmanuel describes to us God with us. And he was to give to Jesus this name. Joseph, you're responsible as his stepdad, as the father figure in this, this um, uh, relationship, as the, as the one in the role of the father to name him, he's going to save his people from his sin, on their sins. It's a powerful thing. Luke 19 and verse number 10 says, the son of man come, uh, come to seek and to save, to seek and to save that which is lost. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you been saved? Say that. Preachers talk about that all the time. That's a common thing at church. Yes, it is. Because the single most important thing about you today is not how much money is in the bank, not who you're related to or who you know, but is the answer to this question, are you saved? Are you saved? You can't be saved by your own works. You can't be saved by being here at church or by being baptized. You can only be saved by Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, help me, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Are you saved? Well, that's why he came. And Joseph heard these things. This is what was going on. In fact, Jesus himself commanded people to repent and believe the gospel, to be saved. And the Bible gives us clear instructions on how to be saved, to admit that we are a sinner and that we need Jesus Christ to save us. And we come to him and acknowledge who he is as Jesus, the Lord who is raised from the dead. And he says, those that believe on me, they will be saved. They will be saved. I want to encourage you in that way. I got saved November 13th, 1996, as a 12-year-old boy. And from that point on, God has been changing my life. Is there a lot more changing to happen? Yes. You can say amen, amen, right? But I can say amen about there's a lot more change that needs to happen in your life too. We're all a work in progress. And he came to save us and to sanctify us. It was a directive word, but it's a verified word. Look in verse 22. Now all this was done. Now all this was done. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets by the prophets. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, shall um, be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. What a beautiful thing. God with us. Guys, you and I might go shopping, grocery shopping with our wives, and it could be possibly stated that we are with them but not really with them. Ladies, the guys have had plenty of time to say amen. Might be time to find your elbow here. With them. Bible says that Emmanuel came to be God with us. I'm sure glad God doesn't treat relationships like we treat relationships. 
And he came to be with us. He identified us uh, with us. He walked with us. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Joseph, he is coming. And all this was done to fulfill the prophecies that God would come in the flesh and he would dwell with us. Go back to John 1 and verse number 14, would you? I want you to know this verse very well. It helps us in many ways. John 1 and verse number 14. We're going to all read it out loud together. John 1 and verse number 14. John 1, 14. And let's read it out loud together. Ready? Begin. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld Him. We saw Him. Wasn't something we imagined. We saw him. He is with us. He walked with the disciples. He went into the temple as a as a, the God man. He was with us, and he went through the 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 responsibilities in fulfilling the law. He was baptized as as was according to the law, and, and all these things that he might fulfill all righteousness. Tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin, he is with us. With us. It's a verified word. This was coming to, to be the case. This was coming to reality in your life, Joseph, and in, in your wife's life, Mary. This is happening. You are the fulfillment. You are how God is bringing this child, this, the God-man into the world, God taking on human flesh. God didn't come to be distant from us. He came to be with us, with us. Well, that's an encouragement for us still today in this world that feels more and more like it's not our home. God is still God with us. Amen. See, I have, I have struggles. Yeah, just remember, in those struggles, it's God with us. I have things I'm confused about. God with us. Praise the name of the Lord. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God's word coming true here. So, so very good. Why? Because God's word always comes true. Thy word is truth, Jesus said. And forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It does come true. And it came true here. Don't just pass over this when you find this in Scripture. All this was done to fulfill what was said by the prophets. That's a powerful testament to the truth of God's word. So it was a verified, it was a verified word. But in all of this, in all of this, Joseph still could have said, not for me. But what was his response? What was the response of Joseph? Notice that he stepped into being a committed husband. A committed husband, verse 24 then Joseph, being raised from sleep, I like that, sometimes getting up from our night's rest is like getting raised from the dead. Right? Being raised from sleep. So being raised from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Let's read that phrase together. He did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Joseph obeyed the Lord. Yeah, that's simple. We teach children to obey, right? We want them to obey. But here is a grown man, a man approaching marriage. He did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. He didn't understand all the ins and outs of this. 
Did he understand the theological implications of the, of the virgin birth and, the, and Jesus taking on human flesh? Did he understand all that? I, I dare say, not at all. But this night, he'd been given some direct revelation from God, a personal word, some directions in which way to go, and he'd been told that this is a fulfillment of prophecy, and here it says, he did as the angel had bidden him. He obeyed the Lord's word. I want us to notice something about his obedience. He obeyed the Lord immediately. The next morning when he got up, the Bible says he did. He did. He obeyed the Lord's word immediately. When do you obey the Lord's word? Three weeks later? Two years later? When do you obey the Lord's word? He obeyed it immediately. He obeyed it without question. Don't leave yet. I have more questions. And if you answer these questions, I'll do whatever you say. We don't see questioning going on here with Joseph. I am sure there were more questions. I'm sure there's things that he just had to step back and say, I don't understand that, but God will have to give that to me in time. But the Bible does not give us that, that Joseph gave any questions to this. He rose up in the morning, and he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and he did it completely. We'll see that in a moment. He did it completely. He obeyed all the commands, all the commands that, that the angel of the Lord had given to him. Guys, I know I might be picking on us a little bit, but it's fun. I am one, so I guess we get to do that. You ever put together an Ikea package? You know, Ikea furniture? What about Sauter's furniture? You, you get the picture. But I'm telling you, you get out those packages, and sometimes as guys, we look at that and say, hmm, I see a better way. I, don't, I, think, I think they messed up. Now, it is really bad when they actually did mess up the directions. Whoever's doing that behind the scenes is like just a little bit of a, you know, has an evil sense of humor. People all over the world frustrated. Hours on end trying to put together these things. But anyway, guys, sometimes we get these instructions. We're like, oh, I don't need that. I can do this. I can do this okay on my own. Do you realize that Joseph did not act that way towards the instruction of the Lord? He did not lean to his own understanding, but in all his ways he acknowledged him, and the Lord directed his path, and I want us to realize the importance of when God gives us direction, do it, and the understanding will come in time. Many times the understanding comes as we obey him. The songwriter says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Simple but true. And Joseph simply obeyed. He simply acted as a servant in this moment and obeyed. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't give reasons why it wouldn't work. He didn't say, after I understand, but he obeyed. And that ought to be the same way that we approach the word of the Lord. I'm afraid that many times we do not see all that God wants us to see happen. He said, after I go back to heaven, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and greater works than these shall ye do. I believe we are, we are powerless and we do not see all that God wants us to see because we have not learned to obey him well. And we do believe that this book is all, authorita all authoritative in our lives. Now, I should say we say that, 
But when the rubber really meets the road tomorrow when you're going to work and the world comes in conflict with this book, do you still receive it as authoritative? I unashamedly stand on that. And I call you to unashamedly stand on it, but not just stand on it, act on it. And so here, here Joseph is, maybe not understanding everything, but he's going to obey the directives that the Lord had given to him. And notice how this led him into a selfless role towards Mary, a selfless role of a husband and a father towards Jesus. Look at verse number 24, and he took unto him his wife. Well, if you read back in the passage, fear not to take unto thee Mary. Well, there he goes. He begins to obey with the first thing that the angel said. The first thing. He took unto him his wife. And so I want us to realize really three just notable acts about Joseph and how he obeyed and how he fulfilled this role. First of all, he claimed her as his own and he cleaved to her. He claimed her as his own. The idea of take is to, to come, to call for, to take alongside and bring back to your home. That's exactly the idea of what, what was to happen later on, about two or three months later, when they, they, they stepped into that marriage relationship, ended the betrothal, the espousal, and they would go on living as a married couple. So he was to do that, and now he's doing that uh, earlier than he thought he would. He claimed her. He identified with her. All the chaos that was going on, all the drama that was going to be going on in her life, and even, let's catch this, ladies, ladies that have been pregnant, you know that it's a challenge, don't you? All right, come on now. Ladies that have not been pregnant, you identify with those that, that haven't used that. It's a challenge. I was just over in, um, when we were over in Israel, uh, we were acquainted to heat like I've not experienced before. Some of you that have been over in the Middle East and, in, and uh, serving in our military, you've been acquainted with heat. That was a new thing, heat index. We've often, we've had several of our, our kids, uh, my wife has been uh, pregnant through the summer, and that's miserable. Oh, that is miserable. Can you imagine no AC? Can you imagine being pregnant in that, that hot climate? We say, well, it happened in the winter. All right, well, that's a discussion for another, uh, another time. But the same, the same time, it, it was a difficult thing. They didn't have all the nice They did not have at the supermarket there in, in Nazareth a sign for pregnant ladies parking. Right? When we, we, we cater to a lot of these things in our day. They didn't have. It was a difficult thing. And he identified with all that. He claimed it. It wasn't even his baby. It was the Lord's. It was a good thing. And he understood that. But it wasn't his. His. And yet he identified with it. He took her as his wife. The Bible tells us, for this cause shall man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. The idea is God desires for a marriage, to be a marriage, to be together. Not to be two separate people living in the same home, bunk, bunking in the same home, but to be together. And so the Bible says that he took her in obedience to the Lord. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't pass over the fact that it says, and knew her not. Now that's old English words for they did not enter into the, the marital relationship. They did not have sexual relations until Jesus was born. Now there's churches that, that preach that Mary was a perpetual version um, that's, that's not the case even from this, um, this verse of Scripture. They went on. They had more, more kids. Do you remember when, when Jesus 
was teaching a multitude and his mother and brethren came seeking for him. So there were other, other um, children, other siblings that Jesus had, uh, step-siblings, if you will, but he, he knew her not. And I want us to just catch, catch this for, for a second. It's a powerful thing. God doesn't put things in Scripture on accident. One, I want to say this, that, that the marital relationship is a, a God-given thing. It's a blessing. Read the Song of Solomon. It's a blessing. It's something that God designed, and it is something that is, is good. But I also want to say that the Bible speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that husbands and wives are not to defraud each other. They aren't to use it as a bargaining chip, and they aren't to, to say, well, if you do this, I'll do this, etc. I think we're all, we're all catching the drift. But the Bible also does say if there is a spiritual reason, if there is a, a specific purpose for prayer and fasting, and you agree together to stay apart for, for a time, do so, but come back together. You know what the Bible um, teaches us is that, that married couples ought to be married couples and they ought to act like married couples. And so I encourage you in that way. Enjoy the gift that God has given. But in this situation, Joseph is said to have set that aside for a time. And I have to think, I have to think that speaks of Joseph's love, care, and ability to cherish what was going on in her life as more valuable to him than even his own needs or their own needs as a couple. Am I far off here? Now, I, temper that with what Paul says to married couples. Don't defraud each other. That is a command. I don't preach about that often, but that is a command. And I encourage you to stew on that. Don't defraud each other. It's not a bargaining chip that doesn't honor God. But I do see that, that there is a, a Godwardness here. And the angel did not tell him not to. This wasn't a part of the directive. And I see this as, as, as a man who is cherishing his wife and what was going on. I don't know how difficult the pregnancy was. What was the son of God? doesn't mean that she didn't face the pain of pregnancy. So I don't know how difficult it was, and the Bible doesn't give us all that. It does say that he did not. And he cherished her and what God was doing in their lives. And by the way, the Bible encourages men, love your wives even as your own body. Love your wives. That's sacrifice for her. Do the right thing for her. God will guide you in that, but honor the Lord in that matter. So, it doesn't just stop there. One of the other things that was said that he was to do, he was to name the child. He was to act as the father in that relationship. That was his responsibility. Do you remember Zechariah? He, he's like, there is no way my wife's getting pregnant. She is too old. And he probably didn't say it in that, in that way. But, uh, and the angel's like, you don't believe? Okay, for the next nine months, you're going to be mute. Not a word out of you for nine months. So much so that when John was born, they had to give him a writing tablet and say, what's his name supposed to be? It was the father's responsibility to name the child. I think if that happened in, in these days, that there would be some very, very strange names. I, I, I wonder at what names would have happened to my siblings. I, I heard about some of them. I wanted to name my daughter 
We named her Sierra, but I thought a good middle name to that would have been Sierra Misty. But my wife didn't let that one go. <laughs> I've heard some bad combinations. They probably came from dads, but this one was going to be a good one. Name is to be, name is to be Jesus. Jesus. And he was responsible to name the child. And I just see this as he was committed to leading his family. Don't miss this. He was committed to leading his family according to the word of God. God had come to him and said, you are to take her and you are to name the child. He didn't shrink back in a, a sense of insecurity, shy insecurity. Well, it's not really my child and I'll just let her deal with this thing. Let this thing be a her thing and a God thing together. No, he didn't shrink back. He stepped forward and took the leadership that he was expected to take. And men, God still expects us to take leadership in our homes according to the word of God. That is not belligerent leadership. That is not dictatorial. If you have any mindset of that, the Bible says submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Sometimes guys can get you know, on their high horse and say, uh, ladies are su to submit. No, God, God said you're actually to submit one to another in the fear of the Lord. And husbands, you are to love your wives sacrificially and wives you're to reverence or respect your husbands. And so I just, I see that, that Joseph stepped into his role as that spiritual leader. As that one who's going to do what the Lord said. And I want to encourage us to do the same thing. To obey the Lord in this way. And in all of this, we see that Joseph was a selfless servant in his family. He served the Lord by serving his family. He served the Lord in selflessness. Now, we don't know much about Joseph. It seems, actually, that he might have died before Jesus even got to the cross. We don't know specifically. But we do, we do know that he served the Lord. He was selfless towards his wife and towards, towards his family. We don't know how much he grossed in sales in his carpentry business. We don't know how many donkeys he had or how nice or new they were. We don't know what kind of clothes he wore or what type of tools he preferred in his shop. But we do know that he was selfless. And then he took the lead where he needed to take the lead according to the word of the Lord. Sometimes we have a skewed value system. Sometimes guys get all into, hey, look at the car I drive. It's not going to be valuable in eternity. But your leadership and your family according to the word of the Lord, is valuable for all eternity. It'll affect the direction of your children's lives. It'll affect the preparation of your wife to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. It will affect much that, that, that has to do with eternity. And so here Joseph is being selfless in his role, and I'm thankful for that testimony. Joseph did as the Lord had bidden him. He did just as the Lord had bidden him. How do you obey the Lord? Do you obey like Joseph? Well, I don't understand. Well, be like Joseph. Rise up, get up, and do what the Lord said. Do what the Lord said. I love this quote from a preacher of bygone days. He said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but it's master. As the world says, find your freedom. Be an individual. No, we need to find out who our master is and obey him. And we have in Joseph the picture of a servant 
who did as the Lord had bidden him. And I want to encourage you this Christmas season to be like a Joseph who did as the Lord had bidden him. Just obey. Obey immediately, without question, and completely. And may the Lord help us with that. Would you stand with me and let's spend some time with the Lord before we leave? Would you bow your heads in an attitude of prayer? I'm going to say, Pastor, as I think about Joseph, the Lord has stirred in my heart. I have some areas that I need to obey the Lord in, similar to Mary, but Lord, I have just seen it in a fresh way this morning that I have some areas I need to do as the Lord has bidden me. I know what it is, and I need to do as the Lord has bidden me. And God has specifically worked in my heart in that way. There be some that would say, Pastor, my upraised hand signifies that God is working in my heart in that, that area. Amen. 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 Anyone else? It's good. Your upraised hand indicates that, that there's something going on between you and the Lord, and I want to encourage you to find a place to pray here in a moment and just talk to him about that. Don't, don't let the day go on without talking to him about that and then identifying the next step identifying the next step when that's going to take place when you're going to do it identify that next step is there anyone here that say pastor i don't know for certain that i've been saved but i have questions about it i'm intrigued i'm interested i want to have that assurance i don't understand it all but I am not sure that I've been saved. And I have some questions about that. I'll not point you out, but I'd certainly like to know if that's what God's doing in your heart this morning. With an upraised hand, is there anyone like that this morning? I'm not saved. I'm not certain about that. Amen. Anyone else? I appreciate the honesty. And I want you always to know here at our church family, that's, that's something we want to help you to understand perhaps it's continuing to listen but if you want to to have someone take the bible and answer the questions that are on your heart for today we'd certainly love to do that and give you that opportunity in a moment father would you now guide this time of just prayer and reflection on what you've taught us this morning and i pray that you'd be honored with our decisions our steps of obedience and we pray this in jesus name Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.